Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Most people don't go to Las Vegas to become spiritual. They go there to strike it rich. But the tables of Las Vegas hold more lessons than whether to raise or fold, double down or pass. How many of us have rolled the dice while reaching out to some higher power to make them come up the winning number? Modern science may look askance at these claims about mind-controlling matter, but most of us don't care. We believe in the lucky roll anyways. This week's guest, Dr. Joseph Gallenberger, brings a unique perspective on what Las Vegas has to teach us, not only about gambling, but also about reaching our potential as human beings. He is a clinical psychologist with 30 years of experience in the field and the author of a new book entitled Inner Vegas, Creating Miracles, Abundance, and Health. Welcome to the show, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Phil. How about you? Pretty good, pretty good. Well, I, I want to start off here by asking a question a lot of people may be wondering. And that is, how did you go from clinical psychology to experimenting with dice throwing in Las Vegas? Well, Phil, as a young kid, I had quite a bit of out-of-body experience and telepathy experiences with my mom, just simple things like knowing uh, she knowing when I'm going to call, that kind of thing. And... Um, as I got going in my psychology practice, I was looking for effective tools and techniques to use to help people get better more quickly and discovered Monroe Institute's Hemisync uh, exercises, which are really elegant at bringing the brain into a balanced state and bringing people into relaxation, creative states, which became very useful in psychology to help people deal with anxiety, depression, those kinds of things. And um, part of that uh, discovery was to go up there and begin to take their residential programs, their first one being Gateway. And within that, all that early child stuff was activated for me, of being able to go out of body, have much more psychic experience going on. And with that activated, I became very interested in it as a scientist. Actually, the first thing that I noticed was the ability, say, if somebody had a headache, to put my hand on their shoulder and the headache to go away quickly. Uh, but as a scientist, you don't know what's going on. It uh, could have gone away by itself. They did it, you did it, who knows. Right. And um, so um, later on, I was working with Bob Monroe, and we were developing a program. And in the program, at one point, to practice what people were learning, we started a simple dice game, and I found my hands getting very hot, heart wide open, feeling very connected with both the earth and the spirit world, and found I could roll what I wanted on the dice, 777, for example, and as I did it, other people could do it. And that's studyable, because we know exactly by uh, chance how many times a seven should come up in 10 rolls or 20 rolls or what have you. And uh, so now there was a way to study. I went to a major university and it participated. They had been doing experiments in psychokinesis, the ability to affect matter with your mind, for many years. And they had uh, vast experiments going, 12.5 million trials showing results of a billion to one by chance. But we were, at this point, saying, hmm, if you didn't use unmotivated undergraduates and if you really had people who may have some ability here, what kind of results could you get? Right. So... I uh, started with changing the height of a fountain, fountain's bubble by random hydrodynamic law. And uh, so the experiment was to keep it high for 15 minutes with your mind, 
make it low for 15, leave it alone for 15 for control, and we got the results uh, way up there in terms of chance. Um, same for changing um, computers around, so computers picking pixels out of picture A, let's say a pyramid, and picture B being a kitty cat, much like head tail flips, just 50-50, random, they should pick equal pixels from each picture, and what you'd see is mush. Uh, you can go, here, kitty kitty, with your mind, affect the computer, and bring that cat picture out. Uh, so when I did that at about 30,000 to 1 by chance, I was hooked. I knew PK was a known, and from there I wanted to practice it. And the best place I found to practice it was Las Vegas, because I knew the dice would be neutral, because... Uh, cheating is not allowed out there, and uh, I knew exactly statistically what should happen. So I uh, began to do that for a couple of years on my own, and then began to teach other people to do it. And I've had 65 of these Inner Vegas Adventure workshops where people have joined as a group, and we've done these kinds of things together. Well, so let's that's, let's that's let's the trip. Let's <laughs> let's let's define a couple terms here for the listener. And first of all, not everyone may be familiar with with PK or psychokinesis. Uh, and first of all, how do you define it? Well, it's the same as many people understand under telekinesis. And often people will say it's affecting matter with your mind. I think it's really the mind sets some intent, but it's a different energy. Uh, mainly, I use the energy of the heart to bring in terrific high positive energy through your intent and then to do things like growth seeds in your hand in five minutes, light light bulbs without using your any electricity, roll dice in patterns, bend metal or plastic with your mind, those kinds of things, as well as I think it's the same energy used in energy healing where we have instant healings and also in manifesting what you'd like in your life. And I think that it's important here for, for folks to understand uh, that what what mind over matter or psychokinesis is, is 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 really in many ways in our scientific worldview a mystery. And this is important because in many ways we have two separate fields of thought out there. We have what I would call scientific materialism, which we talk a lot on this show, where where matter is primary where there is no connection between mind and matter, and specifically where mind or consciousness arose through some miracle uh, from dead matter via the process of evolution. And I started off this show by talking about how uh, psychic phenomena has no place in the scientific worldview because our leading scientists, and these are the Nobel Prize winners, such as Steven Weinberg, who comes out and says that these things cannot occur because the current worldview will not let them occur. And so, but what we're doing on this show and others is that we're actually looking at the facts and, and going from the facts to the theory as opposed to excluding events because the scientific worldview does not let them exist. And so I, I, I want to be clear here because I think ultimately our goal is to come up with a theory where we encompass psychic phenomena and spirituality, which by the way I think are connected as we'll talk about later on the show, into one overarching worldview. At least that's one of my little missions. Now, now Joe, you, you mentioned out-of-body experiences when you were young. And I... And and I often think that what what we do as as we get older, if we go down the path that you're going, and I think that I'm going, is that we we unlearn a lot of the things that culture has told us, and we become like children again, <laughs> or or we or we or we go back to the child's open mind again. I'd agree with that, uh, Phil. Uh, the area of the scientist is quite interesting uh, because, um, for example, Princeton University in their uh, Princeton Anomalous Engineering Research Lab 
both did psychokinesis experiments and have a lot of theoretical physics articles to explain the smoking gun or how this might work. Um, yeah, but you have to move away from Newtonian physics more into quantum physics to see how this would work. But right. many quantum physicists feel like it not only could be, but it has to be according to quantum theory. And there has been an interesting study lately done where it showed 97% of scientists now do believe these things are possible, but there's a small group of very politicized folks who call themselves skeptics, and they uh, insist that science doesn't buy this. Uh, and yet they're an interesting organization because they would refuse to look at any data, they refuse to do any of their own experiments, they just pronounce this from on high, if you will. But they do have the ear of the politicians and the popular press. That's what I wanted to emphasize, and, and I think that what, what we have out there right now, and I mean in our modern culture, is we really have somewhat of a schizophrenic mindset where, where in this, the scientific community itself is undergoing change because in my view, they still haven't integrated the findings of quantum theory into their scientific system. That it's okay. mm -hmm. we're we're still we're still working in in my opinion with a mix of Newtonian physics and to be specific folks Newtonian physics would be the mechanical the world is a machine model where whereas quantum theory teaches that at the base of reality are really probability waves energy uh, wisp of nothing what I would call dream stuff okay and and it's a it really interesting topic there's tons of books written on the overlap between quantum theory and spirituality such as the Tao of physics and books by Fred Allen Wolf and even my book the heaven at the end of science I obviously talk about that because it's a it's a really big interesting subject but but what we're what we're seeing here I think as Joe just pointed out is that there is a, a set of scientists who are who are starting to understand I believe that they can't ignore the data that because quantum theory has that action at a distance the entanglement side of things that there might be some way to explain it explain psychic phenomena under the rubric of quantum theory is that, is that your understanding Joe Yes, and <clears throat> I, I uh, respect science as one way of uh, generating and perhaps validating interesting ideas, but my inclination because of the huge debate, Princeton finally came to the conclusion in their lab that we've convinced everybody we can convince. The data is strong, uh, but the folks who don't want it can be, can be convinced are, are kind of impossible to deal with at this point. So I've taken the tact of saying, well, if this is real, then it should have practical application and uh, have not worried so much about setting up rigorous scientific experiments, which are experiments which are very expensive and time-consuming to do, but took it out into the real world, if you can particularly consider Vegas the real world, and found that indeed it operates, the psychokinesis operates really well, reliably, and under certain principles. And so it, uh, it's almost like we don't fully ex understand electricity, but we can sure use it. And so the same with psychokinesis at this point, we can use it in our lives. Well, I think that's a, a very good attitude because you really cannot ignore the positive impacts that psychokinesis, that, that uh, telepathy, that synchronicity, that intention has had, and we're going to touch upon these topics as as we as we get into this conversation a little bit. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Dr. Joseph Gallenberger, the author of the new book Inner Vegas, about what we can learn about creating abundance and miracles from the dice tables in Las Vegas. Now. Joe, one of the really cool things about what you did uh, in your book, and I'm sure that you did this on your, in your uh, workshops, is that, is that you make 
this experimentation fun. And I think that those who have read books by J.B. Ryan and the, all the dice-throwing experiments trying to prove uh, the truth of mind over matter know that one of the problems with those tests have been that the participants get bored. Yes. They yes. stop, their, their, their interest in the outcome starts waning. And, I, and you could see, I mean, you just mentioned, you know, the thousands or hundreds of thousands of tests that these folks have to go through. I mean, I don't see how you can help but losing interest. So why don't you talk a little bit about, about how you have structured your workshops to make them fun and whether you think there's a relationship between between making it fun and interesting to the results. Uh, you're onto something I think very important there. Uh, and so using the InterVegas Adventure Workshop as an example, it uh, becomes fun because the Vegas is fun, but PK is also results driven. It might be the same energy that when you see a a mother be able to lift a car off her child, you know, a critical time when you need it. You see people being psychic when they're point man in Vietnam or a detective uh, in a police force, times when it's very practical to be psychic. And so when we go out there, we have uh, a day or two of preparation, meditation, learning what our targets will be, learning the games. And then we go to dice tables that have been reserved just for us, and we play together as a group. So everybody is counting on you when you pick up the dice to do well. They have their money riding on your performance. You have your money riding on theirs. And even though we use very small amounts of money, five, ten bucks, it brings people to high attention and high motivation to do well. And uh, when you do well, that's fun. You know, you could walk away with a thousand dollars you didn't have. Your energy tends to be higher than when you went. And uh, the dice game is uh, challenging enough. It has enough variety that interest is kept that way. In the home study sync creation course we do, we use metal bending, um, growing seeds in your hand, lighting light bulbs uh, with your energy, uh, and things that people find highly engaging and fun to do, rather than sit there and you know press a button every three seconds for thousands of trials. Right. something like that that will get boring to a person. Well, one of the one of the things that I I also that appealed to me about what you were saying is that we've heard a lot about about intention. And mm. and you know, there's a certain amount of I mean maybe it's a superficial understanding of this field of intention, but I think some folks may think that all you have to do is wish or intend for something to happen and zap it occurs and that's that's the you know the the ultimate uh, purpose of all these new age new spirituality lessons and and but but you found something different than that it's not as simple as uh, you intend the dice to be seven and therefore they're seven it's a little different than that right i mean yes definitely so and that's where movies like The Secret and, and things, I think, are very good at bringing this issue to people's minds, but then do a disservice by saying, oh, you just simply visualize. What we found is um, you need to look at both your energy and your belief system uh, quite carefully and to raise a, a much higher than average energy uh, to apply to these things seems important and to have your belief system in line with this is not only possible, probable, I can do it. And um, that takes some work. Um, there's often what I call the dragons you might be meet along the way. Even our phrases, nothing good comes easy, no pain, no gain, would make it hard, for example, for healing to be instant. Uh, so we do a lot of work using the meditative uh, states induced by the, <coughs> excuse me, hemisync tapes uh, to deeply change brainwave patterns to allow some new learning to occur and to raise this very high energy. The point here that I think could be very helpful in in your in your workshops and from your book is this thing about getting rid of negativity and I think you use the word shadow. I don't think there's there's that that like there's a negative shadow 
that clouds the positive vibes that you need in order to get good results. That That is something that I know I have, and I think most people have these overriding doubts. And part of, I think, being successful, not only in rolling the dice, but in life generally, is overcoming doubts. I think it would help if you could talk a little bit about some of your some of your practical tips or lessons that you've seen be successful in helping people get rid of, of those negative thoughts, the ego, or however you describe it. Okay, well, I'd, uh, I agree that that's important. Um, it can be negative, or it even can be positive, if it's positive in the sense of, oh, I think I'm something special. And so it's more accurate, I guess, to define it rather than positive and negative as ego thoughts. Uh, the mind isn't what did, does this. So I can have a great run in Las Vegas, and then the next time I come to the table, I go, oh, here comes Mr. Lucky, big bet, bet bid with him. You know, he's going to do really well. That can be as hard because it puts you into self-consciousness as if, uh, if you're really negative and said, oh, I never want anything in my life. Uh, so what we do mainly is the best way to quiet ego is to move into a very loving space with lots of feeling of connection to the earth, connection to spirit, feelings of gratitude, uh, get outside of yourself. Ecstasy means uh, to be outside of yourself. So these in some ways are ecstasy states. Uh, people in sports who are in the zone will talk about they moved outside of themselves, time stood still. Uh, there's a different kind of flow than normal consciousness. And so we work very strongly through meditative techniques, um, how we do our group process to get people in an excellent mood, feeling very grateful, feeling very loving, connected to the earth, connected to spirit. And then the dice table becomes a learning center where in two or three, often seconds, sometimes a minute, you know whether you're, you're supposed to be. Because if you're in the state I mentioned, at one with everything, feeling terrific and open-hearted, you will win. And as soon as you move to greed, fear, ego, negativity, you'll lose. So you get reward punishment for a more enlightened way to look at things and a more enlightened way to live. That tends to carry on when you go home into business, relationships, health, etc. Uh, the, the dice table is not the point, but it's a great learning tool. Well, I think that that's one of the things that you that you say in your book that I think it needs to be emphasized. That that your book is really not how to get rich in Las Vegas. No, it really, it really, is, <laughs> it really is. In fact, I'm sure some people may be wondering, you know, why why is uh, Dr. Uh, Gallenberger on this on this show? Why isn't he on his cruise ship in? his own cruise ship in the Caribbean. What you say, and I, I think what's so important here, is that it's sort of as, as if uh, Las Vegas gaming tables become so a, a microcosm or a training ground for, for how to maximize our own potential as human beings when we, when we leave the gaming tables. I think it's, it's sort of like a test case where, where you learn these experiences, the focus, the meditation, the calmness, the thinking from the heart, learning how to deal with this intention, being, being one with your, with your group, uh, having, having uh, positive, loving thoughts. All these things are carried over to your daily life. And, that's, and that, I think, is your, is your purpose here. Is that right? Yes, uh, I teach meditation and I have for over 20 years up at Monroe Institute. They have wonderful programs there. And yet it's, it's a retreat setting and people will learn a lot, but that transfer of the training back home, um, sometimes there's a gap in that, you know. And, uh, and so the, the casino we've found is a great place to really put this to practical use and begin to live it rather than just think, oh, that's a wonderful thought to be to love, be loving toward everyone. And in fact, we've had groups say somebody's a pain in the neck. And while we're, the group is in judgment of that, we're all losing. Right. And I'll, I'll say to the group, hey, we can continue to be in judgmental and separate this person off, 
or we can unconditionally love them beyond personality and we'll make that movement and that person will often end up our strongest roller and make us lots of money so you get a practical confirmation that it's very powerful to move out of judgment into love into community yeah and there's there's so much here that it's really a, a great topic because what what is underlying this to me is that when you start talking about having a, a team that trusts each other that supports each other that that exudes good feelings that focuses on the same goal it seems to me that that starts sounding to me like like uh, like people are getting in touch with the source or the underlying uh, foundation of being all these terms that we that we try to use to talk about the underlying flow the tau you know and and yeah. and you know i think i think you use the source in your book and some people call it god and again the the term that we use isn't really important but the point here is that if this new age of spirituality has any meaning then it has to be true that there is an underlying flow to what we are and and so if we accept that as an as an assumption and then we start making hypotheses from that assumption we see that when you tap that source particularly if you do it with other people that you may be brought to things that would be considered to be superhuman or extrasensory actions. And I yes, think, it's I, I almost, think, you know, in the Bible, uh, uh, to pick on one religion, you could pick on all of them right. uh, to find similar thought. But right. uh, when the idea two or three are gathered together, and the idea of faith can move mountains. Right. Uh, I think if faith can move mountains, knowing can really do something amazing. And uh, that's what we get is this kind of knowing by seeing this stuff in, in action. Right, and I think that that, to me, is, is where uh, we need to start seeing more uh, development and more attention, because if there is an underlying unity then it would make perfect sense that as as the team members sort of join together they would have greater power to affect the outcome now maybe and in very and in very simple terms when you when your workshop is around the craps table and one person is rolling the dice and and you're saying okay well let's support this person uh, rolling a uh, or not rolling a seven, right? You're not supposed to roll a seven. Uh, you know, I mean, it seems to me that that's that's what's so much fun about this because you're actually experimenting with this theory that the the bigger the critical mass or the or the or the more uh, together the team, the better the chances of a positive outcome. Well, it's interesting because. Uh you can do this on your own, too. Um, mm. You don't, quote, need the team. The team is very useful for learning, uh, but what it's doing is most people now are getting their act together pretty well as individuals, uh, but often, I don't know if you ever had the experience trying to have 18 people order one pizza and try to figure <laughs> out what toppings. To get group coherence of intent yeah. is really challenging. Yeah. It's what we face in politics and, and many other uh, problems we're having in terms of solutions just to agree on the problem and then agree on a solution and apply our energy in a coherent way. Uh, so what happens out there is... Um, we actually, when somebody has a dice, we have somebody either side stand like a, a big energy arch, and they take care of getting drinks if the person wants them, telling them when the dice is ready so the person can keep their eyes closed, uh, giving them a hug if they need it, whatever they need to, need to stay in really good energy. And uh, then we have a buttress either side of those two people firming up the arch, and the whole table sends energy to the shooter as if they were sending energy in a healing circle. Well, nobody thinks of a number. That's all up to the shooter's mind and intention. But we develop this very smooth, loving flow that they can bathe in uh, to stay strong and to stay in the psychokinesis state for a long time. 
and that works very well. That sounds like a, a pretty neat method that I would like to delve into a little bit in a couple minutes. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Dr. Joseph Gallenberger, the author of the new book, Inner Vegas. Now, I want to talk about bending spoons now because this is in growing seeds. You've mentioned okay. it a couple times. And just and most of us may remember uh, Uri Geller, sure. who was famous whenever it was, 60s or 70s, the famous spoon bender. And a lot of people probably would apply a high level of doubt over whether such a thing is even possible. But even in your book, you have photographs of bent spoons that look pretty odd to me. So I, I, yeah. would, like to, I would like you to talk a little bit about the two things here, about spoon bending, but, but overcoming the doubt that I would think most people would have over whether such a thing is possible. Well, I started with a lot of doubt because what a lot of the skeptics have said is this could be fake. And indeed, a master magician can do pretty much anything in close-hand magic right before your eyes with his hands. Um, when Yuri came over, he was um, studied by many independent universities with magic, uh, master magicians watching four cameras, being able to catch every motion he made in slow motion, those kinds of things. Um, and at this point, what we've seen is um, a book, for example, The Metal Benders by two physicists showing pictures under electron microscope that the metal looks different bent with PK than by with force. Uh, but again, I started skeptical. So that went on until somebody I trusted very, very much, I'd worked with him for 20 years, said, no, Joe, this is real. Uh, and then um, I watched some people do it. I was having no luck myself with the spoon that I brought, which was a real heavy one. And until one of these people put their hand be on my back, kind of the back of my heart chakra, and darn if the metal didn't get to be like rubber for a few seconds and the spoon just bent in my own hands. Uh, then uh, I had to say this could be possible because now I've done it. So it's a useful task mainly if you do it yourself and you've picked out the metal, the highest stainless anitaware you can find, and you feel feel a difference, you feel it warm up and go, uh, then, then it's a known to you. If it's somebody else you're watching, sure, they could have faked it. Uh, but uh, for me, I know it's a genuine phenomena. So you can see with the doubt, for me, and I think it's fair for many people, uh, you can go in stages to remove that doubt find a reliable source like this book by the two physicists that make you go, hmm, maybe. Uh, then see it done. Then do it yourself. Then do it with an even heavier metal. Um, and, and on that road, you'll go from it can't be to it possibly could be to it being a known for you. That's, that's uh, very helpful because my next question is how, it, in terms of if, if somebody wanted to do it and I think you've already uh, set out some really good pieces of advice which is rather than just pick up a spoon and try to bend it there's yeah. these there's these underlying doubts we have through culture yeah. through the media through science teachers uh, peers etc that that would put that would make anything like spoon bending seem like science fiction and but starting off with uh the the book or the books that really have experiments showing that it's possible watching somebody do it okay so now now that spoon is in your hand and suppose you're somebody like me that i i do think it's possible i have to think it's possible or, or i would be a little inconsistent in my views but, well, but, but, well, I'd still, uh, when we do this at our um, MC Squared Manifestation Creation Squared workshop that I developed up on Monroe, right. and when we do it on the, in the Sync Creation Home Study Course, uh, I like to have it finally tried when it's about 95% chance that it's going to be successful. Hmm. So I will not even, 
approach that in the in the meditation workshop so we've spent two or three days building energy getting our beliefs into an empowering place really putting some time in beforehand in the home study course it comes after um, some other things that are easier to achieve so you begin to see that PK is real such as the dice throwing and then when people pick it up at this point in groups of 25 or so up in Monroe after having meditated for a few days we often get a hundred percent of the group by the end of the week being able to do this Wow! Uh, because if for example you did it without the preparation and it doesn't go well now you say, oh, nothing to it. Right. But you really haven't approached it in the correct way for right. a maximum chance for it to occur. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a good piece of advice because it's sort of like building up to walking across the hot coals, which, and, and to be, and full disclosure here, I'd rather experiment, experiment with bending a spoon than walking across hot coals. So would I. So, so I think it, it sounds like a little a little less uh, risky. I think that anybody that follows your training and bends a spoon, they have to become a believer because I, I think that that is, it, and, and the way you put it is, uh, when, you, when you do it yourself, you can't doubt it because you picked the spoon out and you saw it actually happen. And then, and then there's the growing seeds, which is another remarkable experiment and, and where does the growing seeds fit into the spectrum of difficulty well we um, we have a variety of tasks and the one that might be difficult for one person might not be for another for example somebody approaching with a dice they don't like gambling they think it's bad that's going to be a difficult task somebody who loves board games always won at uh, playing Yahtzee or what have you, they might have an easy time with dice. So we have this variety, and the seeds appeal to people that are uh, really love gardening and love plants. Uh, there we, we wet um, winter wheat berry seeds. You can use many other kind, any kind that you'd use, say, for sprouting, for eating. We wet them overnight so they're softened a bit. And then we lead people in a meditation with the seeds in their hand for about five minutes. Uh, the meditation involves really becoming one with the energies of the earth, bringing them up through your body and into your hand, that type of thing. And what we can see in five minutes sometimes is an inch and a half root growth, um, very fine root, finer than uh, human hair type of thing. Um, sometimes a little popping at the end of the seeds. Uh, and then we put those in bowls and for two days send them energy versus controls. And by the end of the two days, there is quite a dramatic change between the bowls who, which have been sent energy versus the ones who, which were controls. So that's what the seed uh, exercise is like. So people can see results even in five minutes. It seems like there's a lot of gardeners out there. There might be a lot of gardeners out there who would probably uh, support what you're saying. And sure. I think that's all. That's all. That's all part of it. And that's that's something that's so important for us to understand and to incorporate into our thinking. And that is, at the same time, and I continue to say this because I I do think it's important. These ideas that Joe is talking about, I think, are becoming more and more uh, scientifically accepted. And I, I said earlier that in the current materialistic worldview, these uh, experiments, findings, spoon bending, seed growing, uh, psychokinesis over dice would be considered to be impossible. But, at, but when you do experiments like the seed experiment, the spoon bending experiments, that's the scientific method at work. Right. That's this. This is this is carried out scientifically, and the results show that it must be true. And I think that what what you're doing here is that you're not just talking about waving a magic wand, i.e., anybody could have a magic wand and wave it, and 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 and, and presto, the spoon bends or the seeds grow. But there's this preparatory work that that I believe in listening to you is not easy 
it it takes it takes some time, right? It takes some time to get into the right mindset, the right emotional grounding. To yes, have this happen. Uh, we can you know we know a lot, and there's you know say in the old days it might have been Indian gurus, and and they used spent twenty years learning how to meditate. Now with things like the binaural beat with the hemisync. Uh, folks that have never meditated in 20 minutes can get into a deep meditative state. They got plenty still to learn, but they can feel quickly uh, a big change in their consciousness and their conscious awareness. With that technology, then coupled with uh, helpful suggestions, if you will, about how to apply those energies. Um, even though it's a challenge, people can get there in days. They usually can't get there in two seconds. Uh, like pick, grab a spoon right now and try it. But if uh, you devoted your time and attention to this in a, in a very intelligent way, within days you often can have results. Now you mentioned something, uh, and I think I may have mentioned it earlier, the hemisync, uh, mm -hmm. if I pronounce that correctly. Can you just yes. talk a little bit about what that is? It's basically, uh, Bob Monroe worked uh, in radio for many years, had uh, theme shows to the radio shows like The Shadow back in the 30s. And he was investigating sleep learning, which when you look at learning a language and sleep and stuff, what it seems like is the learning occurs mostly right on the edge of going to sleep. And then we have 90-minute sleep cycles every time you come up and are almost awake and go back, those are the time the learning was effective. Uh, so he began to develop sound technology to keep a person right between asleep and awake. We call it uh, body asleep, mind awake. Uh, and using binaural beats, a slightly different signal in each ear, we can set up a CD or a uh, now computer <clears throat> to put out a stimulation which will tend to bring the brain in, in my example, let's say four-cycle rhythm is associated with deep sleep. If we put that into the binaural beats, the person tends to go to that rhythm. So you have um, this technology that doesn't make you do anything, but it's much like if you were going to learn the waltz and there's no band playing and you never heard a waltz, it's a kind of a tough thing to do. Right. If a band started playing the waltz, you could ignore it, you could tap your feet, but if you wanted to learn, you could get up, and the one, two, three rhythm would help the body go, oh, this is what you mean. Hemisync does that for the brain. It goes, oh, this is what you mean. You want this brainwave pattern. And it helps you get into a relaxed state or a creative state, other kinds of brain states. So it's a specialized kind of music or beats or sounds that, that uh, encourage, that facilitate getting into the right mindset. Yes, so you can... Uh, the beats themselves are kind of boring to listen to. It's like two tones, one a little different in each ear. So over that, they put the sounds of the ocean or beautiful music or verbal guidance. Uh, so in my home study course in creation, there's um, a lot of guidance into releasing uh, fear, releasing lack, releasing doubt, uh, imaging, bending the metal, <clears throat> anything you might want to do. Uh, and by rehearsing it in a deep meditative state, it's more likely to occur when you're um, going to do it in reality. That's that's great. Now, this is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Dr. Joseph Gallenberger about his book, Inner Vegas. And we're going to now move in the last part of the show, Joe, from the gambling tables to real life okay. because because your your uh, experiments and your experiences as we've said earlier uh, begin begin with the fun the enjoyment the, uh, the 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 amazing results you get when people go through the workshops and they start winning they start rolling dice longer than the odds predict and get really positive results from the gaming tables but that's the gaming tables now you also have had a lot of of experiences with with such things as healing right and so so why don't why don't you talk about how how what you've done in Las Vegas then translates into healing 
and what okay. kind of what kind of things you've seen happen there? Well, you're correct. Uh, we found even people getting up the second day of the workshop saying, "I'm pain free for the first time in 20 years." You know, somebody with post polio syndrome. And I'm going to give you an example to give you an idea how this works. Uh, that instead of an uh, example from dice, I'm going to use slot machines. Uh, <clears throat> I had trained all day. All I wanted to do was relax that night. And I went and hid in the corner of a casino. And my goal was to re get a royal flush in hearts on a poker machine, which is 160,000 to one by chance. And I sat down and I wanted that goal because to me this is driven by the energy of the heart. And just as I was going to play, a couple participants found me, oh, Joe, can we play? And I had a split second. I could have said, please, no, I've been with you all day. Or I could have said, sure, sit down, but not mean it. But I opened my heart full wide, sure, join me. And third pull, I got my royal flesh and hearts, which wow. was, you know, forty-five, five hundred dollars, and uh, and they were there to be able to hug me and congratulate me. Um, what happens is we're generating such a high positive, loving energy that it's just naturally healing for the body, mind, and spirit. When we then focus it particularly, like by putting somebody say in the center of the group, and they have an intention. They've let us know they'd like their shoulder to not hurt or what have you. Uh, we often have results in minutes uh, on things that have been there for often a decade for the person. It's not a substitute for medical care. We can't say that, but it uh, often has results uh, that are what I would call miracles. So that's why the subtitle of the book, Inner Vegas, is Creating Miracles, Abundance, and Health. And many of the miracles we see is in this area of healing. Uh, so we get reports. Uh, I did a uh, radio show, for example, uh, a few weeks ago, and there was a lady um, in Canada in her 80s, and she emailed me right after the show, said she had been unable to walk very well housebound to her house, just listening to about the power of the heart. She um, began to walk much better, leave the house, uh, felt she got a healing. And so raising hope, raising energy, getting rid of limiting beliefs uh, that might be in the way, uh, this energy definitely can be used in that kind of fashion. And doesn't this lead to the conclusion that we're really energy creatures? And and that's sort of where where a lot of this discussion winds up. I mean, we, we talked uh, earlier of, about the Newtonian worldview and the mechanical mindset, yeah. but all this leads to the finding that the quantum theorists may be onto something, that at the base of reality, which would include ourselves, is energy, and if we're really energy creatures, then all these things are possible, and it's just a matter of harnessing, well, it's, it's, it's a matter of harnessing the power, harnessing the energy, and directing it to a more fruitful goal. Right? I agree, Phil. Um, I have a lot of sayings I, I like. One uh, that I like a lot is in this work is view the physical world as changeable and that the spiritual world is a solid, solid constant, real. Right. Because if you're trying to move a mountain from an airy fairy place, which is how we usually think of spirit, it ain't happening. Right. Uh, if you change your belief that uh, this is dreamlike and we can change the dream here in physical reality, which is the holographic ideas of what quantum physics is suggesting that consciousness is the basis of reality, then you can make these changes. Um, so. Um, it it just you tip it on its head and all of a sudden and we know we know this desk I'm sitting by uh, the floor you're walking by is is not solid it's almost completely nothing and some whirling energy and um, we are indeed energy creatures if we live that uh, the amount of control we have over the physical environment goes up greatly and your example about spoon bending, I think is, a, is sort of a good metaphor for what we're talking about because because you, you mentioned when you were describing how that could happen, you talked about sort of removing layers of doubt 
Yes. And and we are all we don't realize that we are, we have doubt deeply ingrained in us through our upbringing, through culture, through the media, through uh, through our college education, and through our friends, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We have these deep layers of doubt, and to me, what that doubt does. It makes us write a story of our lives that does not have a happy ending. In other words, it leads us to think that we are limited creatures, that we have cons- that we're constrained, that we're that we're only here to you know live a short time and to pass away, and we don't realize our full potential. And when if we if we change that mindset, like you mentioned just a couple minutes ago about about taking the perspective that we're really spiritual creatures or energy creatures that that's that's the solid foundation then to me we we write our own story and we start letting letting our beliefs control what we are and what we can be as opposed to letting society or culture tell us what we can or cannot be Well, Phil, I I think you're correct, but I think it goes even deeper. What we see is when people first come to these workshops, they'll say, I'm afraid I won't be able to bend the spoon. Right. But then if you go deeper, they're afraid that they will. Right. And because we have this doubt, as you mentioned, but under that we have a fear of power. And and so we've been taught to be modest, etc., so, in fact, we all have the power to go out and get a weapon and kill people and things if we wanted to. Uh, fortunately, most of us don't want to do that. But in the unknown area, you know, oh, man, you're playing with things like bending metal, all of a sudden that whole fear of power comes in. And uh, and that, coupled with the doubt, it's, so it's A, it's not possible. B, if it's possible, it's bad because you will abuse it or you can't be trusted with it. So it's an A-B thing. Not only do we doubt, but if uh, if it is real, then it's suspicious because it could create uh, us running amok somehow. Right. Well, I noted that passage in your book, and to go even farther, I think it's even deeper than that because I don't think we want to live... Uh, as energy, you know, you know. Let's suppose we're energy creatures. I don't think we want to live in a nightmarish world where every, where the intention of everybody gets immediately effectuated. Yeah. And sort of like we want to live in a regular operating world where strange things don't happen. And I think that 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 it, that's that's the way I put it in my own book because because that to me is the explanation of why paranormal events are not very common because we we don't want them to occur because we don't want them to occur <laughs> that's why yeah. and so and so but being being in these heightened states of awareness uh, when uh, you mentioned before it's not it's not just a, a mental intention but there's a there's a big place for the heart here. This openness, this lovingness, this unity with with uh, reality, all that kind of stuff. When when we're at that special place, uh, and we're comfortable with it, and it's under control, then it seems like it happens more easily. And I think that so, put put in different words, I think that our modern scientists have misunderstood the rarity of the paranormal. See, this is where I'm pretty radical here. I think the, the rarity is because we don't want it to happen. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd agree um, it takes some preparation and taking uh, the unlearning you've mentioned. You know, kids have an easier time with metal bending than anybody else, uh, usually because they have, don't have to unlearn so much. Uh, but... Um, we do live in a world where it's a kindness that every thought we have doesn't instantly manifest. So we can think, uh, oh, you know, I don't like you, buddy, and nothing happens. Um, and so we want things, the physical matter reality, to be a little slower than that. But there is a natural safeguard here that people miss. Uh, you know, governments have had remote influencing uh, uh, programs, things like that, and they find people, if they learn how to do this, they're not interested in messing with other people. 
uh, you know, because it, this all is one and uh, coming from an open heart, there's a natural productive function to that. If you try to do PK from a negative place, you might be able to for a bit, but you'll soon lose energy, negative effects. And I think that to connect what you said with some of the historic religion, religious or spiritual traditions, it's to me, it's it's often good to remember the uh, without without getting carried away here the eightfold path of Buddha, where right conduct and moral action is is really important to I think realize nirvana or oneness or revelations or whatever whatever higher state of spiritual awareness we want to talk about the moral underpinning here is to me it's not just a good thing but it's part of the underlying structure because if we're all one then we need to act as one uh, act as a family now it's in in closing i i think a lot of people are trying to or would would probably ask okay well if this pk works then then why why haven't you won the lottery now maybe you have won the lottery and it's it, it's happened after your book but but mm-hmm. but where does the lottery fit into this? Well, the lottery does uh, show influence of PK. I can show you that by when they do studies. Numbers computers pick don't win as often as numbers as people pick, and they should be even. And the numbers that people pick in geometric designs and things do not win as often as numbers associated with loved, one ber- well, loved ones' birthdays, etc. But the problem is, for an individual to win the lottery, there's 100 million people all thinking different numbers. Okay, right. Remember that coherence in Vegas? We're all thinking the same number. We want to have a coherence of intention. The lottery is the opposite of any coherent intention. For me personally, then, I also know, you know that I'm abundant. I have abundance of soulmates, friends, health, finances, etc. in my life. And some other person applying to the lottery this week needs a new kidney. Someone else has just been diagnosed cancer, has a special needs child to take care of. So I'm not even really motivated to win the lottery. There's other people who could use uh, the lift more than I would. Um, some Translating even that to, you know, well, why aren't you in Vegas? Uh, I love teaching and using this as a teaching thing. Uh, and my guidance has been this should be playful for me. It's okay for me to win you know, five, ten grand and go out and have fun with it, but if I made it my livelihood, it would be a grind. My, my mission is to be a teacher, uh, so it doesn't, uh, it doesn't line up with my life mission to spend all my time in a casino. I wanted to ask you that question about the lottery because I think there's a, a message in, in your answer. And okay. it's it's a to me when when we have sort of a multiplicity of intention sort of doing battle with each other, then the outcome is going to be more random. And I think that is something that's a message I think for for us all that I am hopeful that as we start realizing that we're really energy creatures or dream creatures spiritual beings that we, we will find a unity in that position and we may we're never going to agree on the pizza toppings I think that's that's understood yes. but on the other hand when we when we get back to to what we what we were as children when we unlearn these things that have separated us I think that really bodes well for the future of us on this little planet here. Now, yeah, we all don't have to agree what's best. What we do in Vegas is we all agree to support what you think is best for the next 10 minutes to <laughs> empower you toward your dream. Yeah. And we can do that, you know, uh, if it's a new city park or whatever it is. We don't all have to agree, but we do have to agree to support each other. And and that's great. And and Joseph, we've we've uh, reached the end here. And I think that you've mentioned a couple times the home study program. And why don't you why don't you tell the listeners how to how to find you and how to find out more about about that study program and the Hemi Sync. Okay. Well, the easiest way, if you can remember the title of the book, Inner Vegas, 
just go to innervegas.com. That's a subpage of my whole big website. It'll have the Vegas Adventure on there, the workshop I mentioned. It'll have the home study sync creation that I mentioned. So just going to innervegas.com will give you lots more information. And you can get the book there, or you can get it on Amazon or in Barnes & Noble, what have you. Well, that's great. And uh, once again, Joe, I really appreciate your time. I think this has been a very uh, fun and interesting show because we've got to talk about the gambling tables of Las Vegas and, the, and, the, and, our, and our potential future as energy creatures. Uh, this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Join me next week when we'll have Dr. Morton Walker uh, talk about the cure for cancer. Thank you for listening. See you next week. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 